Good morning. Once again, this is your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the June 4, 2013 edition of Ask a Leader. I'm fresh off a wonderful congregating in San Francisco of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, a whole breed apart, those folks. They're covering local issues in rural areas, on Indian reservations, in the middle of urban grit, celebrating anniversaries like the 40th of Radio KBBF in Calistoga, Santa Rosa area of California. They're a partner in the Bilingual Broadcasting Foundation and the National Latino Public Radio Network, really thriving, really providing. I'm dedicating this show to the leader of the National Federation of Community Broadcasting, Jenny Burson, who will step down from her long-held post at the end of this month. She's a smart, funny, and a dedicated general force to be contended with. Ginny Burson challenged every one of us to raise the bar in community, programming, and content. I bring back from her meetings a higher sense of what this, this whole commuteration station should be and will give all of you every opportunity to support me, to support KUCI on every imaginable level. Whether we're in a pledge drive or not, KUCI will always count on you for financial support. I hope that you will always keep that in mind. Now for today's program, it's a pretty kinesthetic show that I have planned for you. First, Dr. Dustin, Justin Lin, personal trainer and doctor of physical therapy, will give us the saner take on the extreme workout regimes that are getting so much attention of recent all over the media. Then we're going to turn to a very special local 100 of commemoration of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring first performance in Paris with UCI's Lisa Noggle and John Crawford. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Dr. Lynn setting us straight before we enter ourselves any further. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. As I bring to you, Lynn Sanity, yeah, a Taiwanese-American jock. Actually, my first guest is Dr. Justin Lin, licensed, credentialed doctor of physical therapy. In other words, a credible source on how we should look after our body's maintenance as sports fads come and go. Formerly a scholar ball player at nearby University High School, Dr. Lin completed his master's of science physical therapy program at Boston University and received his doctoral physical therapy degree at Marymount University. He's been an accomplished personal trainer while in Boston working at Boston sports clubs and was also well-known physical therapist in the Washington DC metro area. You can follow his health column in the um, notice and OCLA area newspaper with his weekly submittals including the May 31st edition on work on fad workouts that is. Giving back to the community, he serves on the board of directors at the Orange County Taiwanese Association. That's a different OCTA, folks, than you hear on this show. And volunteers as a sports therapist for the Santa Ana Pony Baseball League. I love that. He comes to us today from Tustin, where he has established his own practice, Rehab and Revive Physical Therapy, Inc. Welcome to the show, Dr. Justin Lin. Hi, Claudia. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, today, obviously, we're interested in hearing about your contributing a sane voice in the vaunted 
seven-minute program and some other extreme workouts. But first, I'd like to start out the beginning with you. So, Dr. Lynn, would you say that your baseball injury that you sustained at Uni High was something of a career-defining opportunity? Well, back then, yeah, I was, uh, was, was kind of aspiring to uh, play in college, and, uh, and then uh, just through you know some poor lifting habits and, and things like that. And then uh, going out and playing, I, I would say, it kind of led to some of the breakdowns and really shaped my uh, the way I looked at things later on as I went through my career, uh, through schooling. Always trying to answer the why, you know, trying to be uh, like kind of that, trying to find you know that balance of, of what's right, what's wrong. Uh, you know, a lot of things. What I write for the notice uh, is a lot of this consumer advocacy and and really just trying to empower the the public uh, to get more knowledge, to, to make smarter decisions about their body. So, yeah, you know, that's a, definitely a life-defining moment. Uh, you know, it's, it's pushed me to, to where I am today and, and, and really driven my, my kind of motivation to, uh, to, to kind of reach out to the public and, and, and do this uh, kind of community health, uh, uh, you know, kind of this, this mission of mine through my life. Well, you certainly are plugged into lots and lots of outlets around, and we'll 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 talk about that uh, consumerist aspect of it. Well, first, let's let's break down what's going on with the high intensity workouts, such as the CrossFit, Insanity, and the P90X. I remember when I first read the New York Times, it was I think the beginning, it was about a month ago, in the New York Times article, I thought, wow, time saving, no equipment workout regime regimen there. The testimonials racked up on the blogosphere didn't stop. So tell us, so let's first talk about the upside of this whole uh, approach. Well, I, like I said on uh, uh, the broadcast with Tom Ashbrook uh, on point a couple weeks ago, right. uh, as kind of follow up from there, I uh, spoke to Chris Jordan, the, the developer of the seven minute workout, which, as we kind of found out, uh, was three sets, which uh, comes out to about 21 minutes. Right on. Um, and then uh, Jessica Matthews, who was down in San Diego uh, with her uh, American College of Exercise um, and, and, and her and work, her work there. Uh, you know, it's a, I'm always looking for, as a, as a personal trainer, as a health fitness uh, professional, and as a, as, a, as a medical professional, always innovative ways to inspire, to keep people compliant, to keep patients, uh, you know, wanting to motivated to, to get there and get out there, be healthy, be, you know, just be, just kind of promote their fitness, their health, their wellness, uh, and, and so, you know, this is a great thing. I think there's a, a lot of things. I kind of did some sports psychology in, in, co- in college at, over at Boston University, and there's uh, these things really go. It's something to talk about. It's a, you know, great marketing, of course. You got, you know, you got um, all, the, all the characters uh, on uh, Insanity and uh, P90X and as well as uh, CrossFit with uh, Greg Glassman uh, really promoting, promoting, you know, just this social... Uh, interaction, uh, something in sports psychology is called uh, social facilitation, which is that camaraderie, that promoting. So there's a lot of great stuff. It's just you know promoting people to move. Uh, I think on on that on that note, uh, you know I think there that's where you know a little voice of reason pops in and and says, hey, you know let's get these things uh, a little bit safer. Let's get these things get people a little bit smarter. Get these people to actually know when to stop themselves. From uh, from pushing themselves too hard to to the point of injury, where you know, as in my article, I said you know don't be fooled by 
you know, CrossFit, P90X, Insanity, and that's, you know, meant to be a little bit controversial, but it's to kind of raise awareness, just kind of, you know, that little light bulb that says, hey, you know, you might want to stop yourself if, uh, if you don't have the right background, the right uh, training, uh, or if you didn't get enough training. Right. And uh, with this kind of thing, not everybody's created equally here with their own sort of, like what I've learned um, is that their proprioceptive functions, they're all different. And a lot of people aren't going to get any kind of a, a timely warnings that they are stressing their joints, uh, their alignments and all that kind of a thing. So how, um, so what is a, a way that you can help people um understand their uh, the shortcomings of their ability to pick up on that, how they, how they can be pro- proactive here? Well, I think the great thing is to ask the right questions, you know, and to really scrutinize uh, wherever gym you go to, whether it's a personal trainer, whether it's a, you know, CrossFit gym. I heard uh, Jessica speaking. She had a great little little comments uh, over on the show a couple weeks ago yes. on NPR. She said there's a foundations class. I don't know which CrossFit gyms have it, but, you know, something like that would be great and or hiring uh, a personal trainer that has that experience, someone that, you know, I, I've, I just met a, a surgeon. Uh, he, he went six months into, into finding a personal trainer before he got into CrossFit, and I think that was the most proactive thing. I was really, uh, you know, I really commended him for, for, for just going out there and it's like, okay, I want to do this right. I want to I be smarter about this. I need to know what my limits are. And as, as I learn in, in physical therapy, you know, it, it's not just what I perform on patients that's going to help them. It's also, hey, and when do I back off from a patient? So, you know, I think this, this idea, idea of just, you know, being able to discern, you know, when to stop and, and what's the right form. And because, you know, a lot of these gyms or a lot of these uh, group exercise classes or boot camps that are really popping up from, from, uh, from the roots uh, all, all over the place. Right. They're they're just there. There's one or two trainers doing twenty. You know, watching twenty different contortionists. Yeah, contortionists, and it's not a one size fits all. I think that's what uh, we kind of talked about on the show before as well. That's it, we. You know, it's hard for me to see one patient do a lot of things wrong, and there's plenty, of course, to look at, and let alone if I had to scrutinize or watch. 20, uh, or, uh, you know, 5, 10, 20. Wow, I just loved uh, your you, your humility in, um, you know, r- recognizing um, even, the, even the limits of what you can do in your practice. It's really refreshing. But I, I want to go back to a point, though. The part of the allure of these uh, spare kind of workouts is that they're really low budget. So that is drawing people that aren't going to necessarily have the means for a personal trainer. So what are we going to do for those folks? Well, I think uh, that's a great question, Claudia. Uh, I think it's it's just kind of if you're going to do a low budget kind of thing, maybe doing things in front of a mirror, doing things a little slower. You don't have to do it at their pace. Seeing what feels right. If it hurts, I tell patients with any of the exercises I prescribe. If it hurts once, okay, stop. If it hurts twice, okay, you know we got to look at some things and bring it back to me in the next session. Um, so that's something you want to keep in mind. If it swells up, that's definitely a bad thing. You know, you don't want to you don't want to push that limit. And if you're if you can't walk for two or three days, I wrote this article on the notice. Yes. Uh, not too long ago, uh, you know, the sore truth. It's just you know this uh, delayed onset muscle 
uh, soreness or, or fatigue, and that just builds up a lot of, clogs up a lot of stuff, uh, whether you're breaking down tissues. And one of the big things on CrossFit, uh, and there was a big lawsuit against CrossFit okay. about uh, you know a guy working too hard where his uh, where his muscles broke down. His healthy muscle tissues broke down and then caused him to have liver failure, which almost caused him to, have to die. So, you know, these wow. are things like pushing yourself too much. Hey, you know, just stop yourself a little bit. Am I doing, am, you know, am I doing this correctly? Does it look right? Does it feel right? And those are the things you got to ask yourself and be really mindful. Like I always said, just be mindful with your movement and, and you know, just use your common sense. Well, for those of you joining us this Tuesday morning on Ask a Leader on uh, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming all over the gyms all over the world on KUCI.org, my guest is Dr. Justin Lin, Director, uh, Doctor of Physical Therapy with a local practice um, in uh, Tustin. It's Rehab and Revive, rehabandrevive.com for more information. And uh, he's stressing the consumer safety in a number of facets of physical therapy here today on the show. So mindful, I'm sure you're going to have to adjust what mindful means for different ages of your clients. The, the younger they are, the less mindful they are, the more invincible they feel they are. So how do you deal with that? Well, that's a that's a great question. I think that's where I ended up uh, hurting myself when I was a little younger. No doubt. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that that invincibility uh, factor. It's like I can do this. I can do just as much as my buddy over here, who may have a different background. Where maybe, you know, I just a different uh, back. Yeah, a different <laughs> back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's a that's a really tough one for kids i think you know especially with uh, uci getting out for the summer everyone wants to look fit for the beach and and go out there and they're like yeah i can do more i have more time to work out you know just being mindful is kind of that sense that the holistic sense of just being aware just staying tuned being present you're not you're not on the phone you're not you're mu- you're not distracted i think just staying in the present moment where you're you're doing the lift and you're like gee that didn't feel right uh that's you know, didn't that kind of hurt my knee or that kind of, kind of strained my shoulder or neck. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, I think, uh, with more training, with more expertise, asking even some of the, the, the local professionals at your gym, if you're, if you're a health, health nut and you plan on going a lot, just asking them just for, hey, do you mind watching me for a quick second? Um, and, you know, and they it's oblige? not bad to just invest you know, a little bit of money, put a little money aside, whether, you know, you go to a, a, a physical therapist that says, you know, just like, hey, I want to spend an hour just going over these motions, you know, that's like, you know, 100-something bucks. You save it, just scrounge it up, and, and really do yourself a service because if you were going to plan to do this as a lifetime, and that's what we all want to promote as health professionals, as, as a physical therapist, as a, as, a, as a personal trainer myself, and individually my belief is just, we should always be pushing for a lifetime's uh, worth of wellness or health, health and fitness versus just a short burst you know, where you're lifting a lot, where you're doing this stuff, because it's only going to make a small dent in the actual grand scheme of, of the of life picture. So, Well, I think, Dr. Lin, too, um, $100 might sound like a displacement of somebody's personal budget um, in the short term, but I think what you're uh, intimating here is 
the then the long term you can you can rack up a huge medical bill tab uh, if uh, things start to go out of alignment our uh, muscles and tissues are breaking down so uh, it's a, a penny a penny saved a whole uh, life insurance policy or, or earned sa- uh, saved later on the line there so it's good that's a good point that you can I guess make your um, the local uh, recommended physical therapist, your personal trainer to get you launched in a, a physical regimen that will uh, sustain your physique and your uh, general welfare. And that, yeah, that's totally correct. I, I totally believe that and, and agree. It, you know, a, 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 an ounce of prevention is worth of, you know, a pound of... A lifetime. <laughs> definitely a lifetime. Uh, and I also, if you go to my website at www.rehabandrevive.com, uh, I put out Confessions of a Personal Trainer, yes. uh, which is out there as a PDF. It's free for anyone. It's on my bio. Uh, you can link up to it and, and check out uh, just some things, some big pointers that I always find. You know, not, every, not all trainers are created equal. So, you know, really being smart, being discerning, being, uh, asking questions, you know, being a, uh, a consumer, a real intelligent consumer. Uh, so I put out something out there to just try to help the public and, really advocate for, for, for higher quality, higher quality uh, trainers, higher quality professionals, uh, whether it's even in my field as a physical therapist, believe it or not, they range as well. So. Well, let's do that. Let's unpackage that a little bit sure. on the radio. I'm sure listeners are leaning a little bit closer to their speakers, to their cell phones. Uh, if there are some some general uh, um, sort of recommendations about picking out a, a good personal trainer or a physical therapist for that consultation that gets somebody started. Correct. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I hate to say, but you got to judge a book by its cover on, on this sense of okay. people that really invest the time to get their continuing education. Uh, I myself belong to the Institute of Physical Art, and we're always pushing for the efficient body, the efficient movement where it's energy consuming. And on the flip note, with the, with the personal trainers, you want the people that I put in my uh, Confessions of a Personal Trainer um, is is to, to find the people that are going to invest the, their time, their money, into getting more education and more certificates, whether it's, you know, right now I think some of the leading ones is uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine, the American College of Exercise is a good one, with, with, uh, where Jessica Matthews belonged to. Uh, I personally have the uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association's Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialty, which, uh, you know, I can train uh, college athletes, professional athletes, uh, really putting that time. That was a, a full day test. That was, I think, something like eight hours. And okay. you know, we I put in about a, and you have to have for for the CSCS, uh, that's certified strength and conditioning. You have to have a bachelor's degree. So, you know, you see, you know, those are little markers that that little ping they ping you, and and you're like, okay, this guy's gonna invest. And just watching them, just shop around. And you know you can always sit down for a free consultation. I think in many places you can. And yeah, so and that's, a, that's ask the right questions. Ask you know um, you know either their experience. Ask give them scenarios to work out too. It's like if I've got this, uh, I've got this back pain thing. How would you modify this exercise, or or how would you? You know, uh, you know, what would you do differently if I, one day I came in, my ankle was hurting, and, and, and you wanted me to do this exercise to achieve my core or, or something like that. And, and so, you know, there's so many ways to just test your intent. Be, be, be smart. Be a smart consumer, I think. And that way you can be compliant. That way you can do that lifetime's worth of, 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 
of due diligence for yourself. I think that's the best way to say it. <laughs> Indeed. I want to remind everybody, we are talking at this time with Dr. Justin Lin, a doctor of physical therapy, again with his local practice. I want to give you that website again all. It's rehabandrevive.com. He's located at 3002 Dow Avenue uh, in Tustin, and the number there is 714, area code 900 3880, just so that you can do that. But the, the rehabandrevive.com website, it is loaded. And I think it might even include where the, the what is it, the Tai Chi master at uh, how many few pounds? He's like 120? <laughs> yeah, he's like some 130 pounds. 130 pounds, and he pushes you 200 pounds. He just lifts you, just <laughs> tosses you off like a Frisbee. Totally does. I'm some almost about 200 pounds, and and he uh, he just takes me and he does this one maneuver where he's standing and he's got so much this core strength, this core energy, and he's like, just hold me and hold me tight, and and I just remember I'm like, what is he gonna do to me? And then he just like straight out uh, something like a comic book just shoves me across <laughs> the parking lot. I swear. Right oh, is that right? Because you leave the screen, we don't even know what happened. <laughs> yeah, we I was just like, know you're what gone. Just happened. I was like, don't do that ever, ever to me again. I was like, we're just gonna do one take. That's good. <laughs> yeah, don't do it <laughs> again. But we can. Funny, it's, it's definitely up there for people to see and if, enjoy. So that's uh, just a little teaser, folks. But there, it is a, a website that's loaded with help. You're really, uh, I think, you're being very generous with so much pro bono consultation written out there and. And um, with the um, WBUR on-point interview that uh, folks can also go to to hear the back and forth and hear how grounded you are versus that. It, I mean, the others, they're promoting it. They want to get people enthusiastic about it. And and, and they also qualified their own um, promotions with, you know, it's it, you've got to warm up, folks. You've got to, you know, you've got to take it easy. You've got to bounce aerobic with, you know, all the toning and that kind of a thing. They were They were being general, but I think it was really... You were very grounded in uh, giving us uh, a balance of how to go about this and go about it, uh, you know, carefully, to say the least. So um, I just want, for people who know that I like to cover a lot of areas, leaving the kind of faddish part of this, but um, do you also work with some developmental delays uh, with your clients? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, developmental uh delays, whether it's uh, some proprioceptive, which is, for, for those out there listening, proprioception is the ability to kind of tell where your body is in space. We have little special receptors in our joints and our muscles that indicate, hey, I'm about to run into a door that's not running in the door, or, or my arm is this far, let's not get it caught in the window. Or my uh, arm is over um, overworked. Or my arm is overworked. That's a great point, Claudia. And that's uh, where... You know, I work with a cerebral palsy patient. I have worked with head trauma and also uh, spinal cord injury, and those are important things to get back. Uh, and it's not something you can be really choosy or, 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 or cognitive about, where, where I mean you're, you're being, you understand, you're like, hey, this is what's going on. It's almost an innate, natural thing. You've got to retrain it. And so I do, over at Rehab and Revive, uh, physical therapy. I do a lot of these hands-on treatments using uh, what I learned at the Institute of Physical Art, uh, a lot of this functional manual therapy, which is, uh, there's not that many out there in, in, in America right now, but it's, gonna, it's getting some traction, and, wow. and it's really pushing the limits of using us as the vehicle, as the, uh, us, us being the physical therapist, as a vehicle of creating these manual contacts of stressing these joints to re-excite um, this, the, these joints and these receptors 
and then reprogram it in a will, in aware in, and awareness into uh, people's brains and this mind and body uh, connection. So really, we're trying to integrate that, and that's what promotes efficiency. Whether you have a proprioceptive or or, or neurological condition or not, I think there's always a chance to push it further and and really benefit. I always say neuromuscular stuff is like opening up the bandwidth on uh, the wireless stream. So, you know, the more information your body can handle, the more stresses it can and take in, and, and the way it prioritizes or, or, or it puts everything in, in a, you know, kind of a queue uh, is, is a lot more efficient. And that way you save yourself from injury or, or, or you know, or rehabbing yourself back to, uh, uh, you know, everyday life. Uh, so I think, you know, these are great things that we do right now, and that's, uh, you know, how we're pushing the envelope in, in my profession. Um, as well as the fitness profession, that's really what I want to try to get back get, get back into as well because I have that experience. I know there's a lot of professionals out there without that uh, discerning eye. They're just there. Maybe they were, you know, stock stockbrokers like last year and decide, hey, I want to be a personal trainer because I like working out. And that's great, I think, but you also have to invest that time, that money uh, for professionals to go back and learn. And while these places like 24-Hour Fitness or LA Fitness, they have their own in-house um, uh, training, which is, you know, just uh, really unfortunate, but it's about a course of one or two weekends, and then they, they certify themselves, and then they're, hey, I'm a certified per, uh, personal trainer. And that's, you know, I think that's where it's a little dangerous. Uh, I think the ones with exercise physiology degrees uh, that go on or some kind of fitness background, athletic training background, are the ones you really want to pick as your, as your professional for help. Well, I'm going to, um, as we wrap this up, I'm going to uh, re-listen to the parts about those credentials that matter the most. Put those in the podcast summary so people can uh, go to that and uh, put that on their little uh, template for what they're looking so that uh, with all of your uh, heft here that you can uh, direct them to their um, the most affordable, the uh, the the best um the best prepared kinds of uh, physical therapy, personal trainer, uh, professionals that can get someone back on track with a mindful physical regimen that that will sustain them for the rest of their lives. And I appreciate your again your generosity both with uh, what you provide on your website, your time with WBR a couple weeks ago, and then today on KUCI on Ask a Leader, Doctor. Justin Lin, physical therapy uh, doctor with the local practice at Rehab and Revive. Thank you for being on Ask a Leader today. Great. Thank you, Claudia. I'm so glad to be here. Happy help uh, in the future. Okay. You've done it and started, and we're going to keep with that. So after we're going to, um, we're going to go back uh, to Ask a Leader with uh, some collaborators um, with the Claire Trevor Bren School of the Arts, uh, John Crawford and Lisa Noggle who are collaborating this week with the Soccer Project along with the Pacific Symphony to present a very special commemorative series of performance of the Rite of Spring, now 100 years old. We'll be back after this break. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. That snazzy, snazzy piece was uh, an old Cirque du Soleil, uh, Saltimbocca uh, theme there. So uh, 
course, while we're pulling joints, we're going to, we'll pull them all the way they do. But now we're going to segue into something, some other part of our kinesthetic show. Welcome back. My next guests are Lisa Noggle and John Crawford, both faculty at UCI, as they prepare to put the finishing touches on their performance art installation, the Sacra Project, staged at the Samueli Theater around the corner from the Sigurdstrom, where the Pacific Symphony will perform commemorative 100-year anniversary Igor Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. Uh, so first, John Crawford is professor of dance and media arts at UC Irvine. Uh, is, he's an intermedia artist, interactive performance director, project designer, and technology developer using computers and video to create painterly animations and motion graphics for dance, theater, and music. He originated the Active Space concept in 1994 to describe his interactive performance systems that produce visuals and music in response to movement. His work has been performed and exhibited across North America and in Asia, Europe, and South America. He's the creator of eDance Network as well as the eMedia Studio. In 2006 2000, through, through 2008, he was a visiting research professor at Beijing Dance Academy, China's foremost dance university, and currently is director of media arts at the annual Summer International Contemporary Arts Festival in Andalusia, Spain. As a software developer, his credits include projects for Adobe, Microsoft, and other companies. As a software developer, his credits include projects... Oh, yeah, I mentioned that already. So he's theater director and actor. He studied with Sanford Meissner at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York. There's a whole lot more to say, but that's all we're going to fit in now. Now to Lisa Noggle, who is professor of dance in the dance department at the School of the Arts at UCI. She holds a Ph.D. and Master's of Fine Arts in Dance from New York University. Lisa was a recent guest at the Kondong Performing Arts Academy in China. Boy, these Chinese are pulling our best and brightest over there to keep them stoked with the cultural best. Um, with the, she's also been with the Romanian State Theater Ballet Company in Constanta, Romania, and at the Banff Center in Canada. Lisa was a member of the Nancy Hauser Dance Company, has performed with several dance companies in the United States and Canada. As a dancer, she's worked with Hanya Holm, Alwan Nikolai, Merce Cunningham, and Eric Hawkins. Her current work centers on computer-based applications, perfect for right now, for dance, including motion capture, internet-based performance, and interactive technology. No wonder she's collaborating right now with John Crawford in this beautiful piece we're going to be talking about. She's performed and choreographed in London, Amsterdam, Germany, Italy, Poland, Hungary, and Canada, as well as the USA. Her previous appearance on Ask a Leader was about her work in bringing students to special summer workshops in Spain. Welcome, John Crawford, and welcome back, Lisa Noggle, to Ask a Leader. Hi. Hello, Claudia. Claudia. It's nice to be with you. Well, first... Uh, let's talk, let's go way back about like 100 years ago. The Rite of Spring or the Sacre du Printemps. Uh, we're going to start with appreciating the groundbreaking quality of Stravinsky, that is Igor Stravinsky and Vaslav Nijinsky's collaboration. What do you make of that, that, in, that introduction into the, the great new world? I guess just before World War I opened up. Exactly, and it was um, at the same time exciting and shocking to the audience at the time. There was another very important artistic collaborator, uh, Nikolai Rerich, uh, who was the visual artist who some people say actually had the original idea for doing uh, a dance and music piece live on stage that 
kind of reached back in time to the, uh, some people would say, primitive cultures of the Russian steppes, uh, the, the arid plains of Russia. And um, at the time they conceived this idea, all three of them were working in Paris um, under uh, the uh, tutelage of the uh, famed impresario Sergei Diaghilev, who had a very important dance company at the time called the Ballet Russe in, uh, in Paris. And so even though they were far removed from Russia at the time, every, people in Paris were very excited about the idea of all things Russian. And uh, so when they came to the Rite of Spring, they were expecting something that, you know, today we might think of as, let's say, the music of Tchaikovsky, another Russian who was very popular in Paris, who made very beautiful, melodious, flowing, passionate music. And in some sense, I think, when people came to the premiere of Rite of Spring um, on May 29th, uh, 1913, they were expecting something similar. And also they had already heard the Firebird Suite, which also has a a very melodious, um, in that case, in that frame of reference, a very accessible sound. So they were, by the same, Igor Stravinsky, so they were expecting something along those lines as well, no? Exactly. And they were also um, very interested to see the latest from the famous Russian dancer Nijinsky, who um, was well known for his athletic prowess, but also for his very sensitive interpretations of uh, classical ballet. And his previous work had been very well received. He was known as a very beautiful dancer. So in some sense, I think the people who came, uh, at least many of them, were expecting beautiful music, beautiful dancing, uh, pointed toes, um, arching backs, people reaching up to the sky, and music that would accompany that in a, in a way that made people feel good about being who they were in this you know, beautiful Paris of the turn of the century. And that is not what they got. They got some really, uh, like, a pagan, contorted... Uh, I mean, it was atonal, all kinds of things colliding, and where there, there was no place for them to hide. They had to move. They were shoved into a much, a much more modern uh, sensibility there. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure that they recognized it at the time as being a modern sensibility. You know, they thought, the audience, I'm sure, thought they were fine as they were. But the canny impresario, Diaghilev, um, invited a um, kind of half of the audience being the musical and dance establishment of the time, and the other half being people that he felt might be more open to a more adventurous uh, uh, piece of music and dance, mainly younger people. And he seated them interspersed in the theater so they'd be kind of next to each other, at least so the story goes. Oh, Now, I think all of the... Um, all of the the creators were feeling perhaps a little nervous because they realized that what they were doing was transgressive in many ways. Um, Stravinsky's music was extremely powerful, but also extremely difficult to listen to. Uh, And uh, the repeated um, uh, 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 notes that we call ostinato that we're so used to in all kinds of music today, all the way from rock to uh, classical music were something very new for the audience at the time. They didn't understand how someone could put such 
dissonant tones together because um, Stravinsky was very interested in finding ways to combine tones in ways that weren't pleasing to the ear, but it were at the same time musically powerful. And he also used polyrhythms, the idea of putting multiple um, rhythmic structures in, in, a, in a piece of music. And um, the Rite of Spring is notorious for changing time signature over and over again yes. um, throughout the piece. So all of these innovations that Stravinsky came up with did have roots in previous musical pieces, but it was really in the Rite of Spring that he put them together for the first time in a powerful way to create what some people call you know, the birth of modernism in music. Amen. And I, 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 you can go, folks, on the, the YouTube and see how the, because um, with the Pacific Symphony uh, Orchestra performance, there won't be the ballet set to that. The ballet is in the soccer project, which you're going to do. And we're, we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, uh, the, uh, the, um, the, 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 it's riveting to see the, uh, also how the, the dancers carry out those ostinati with their pounding footsteps and that kind of a thing, with the, those jarring atonal and change, change uh, rhythms and that kind of thing. It's, 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 such an, it's, it's overwhelming. So I wanna, has there been any comparable groundbreaking since uh, May 29, 1913? Lisa can step in too with this. Well, I think there's been a lot of different uh, developments of collaboration. One of the first things that comes to my mind is the nine evenings of theater and engineering. It wasn't exactly, you know, a, a Pacific Symphony and, and a university, but it was a major event of um, collaboration between Rauschenberg and and. Billy Kluver, and I think a lot has spurred in terms of experimental um, groupings of people and pro- series of projects, and, and that comes to mind. And yes. Merce, Merce Cunningham and John Cage also come to mind, and, and especially now with uh, digital media, there are so many kinds of collaborations happening over the Internet and through digital culture and social media. So it's, it's becoming more of a... Um, about the structure of collaboration rather than an iconic figure um, dictating or saying exactly what um, a piece should be about. I think there's more, um, a more sort of a metamorphosis in the arts of coming to uh, collaborative ex- uh, experiences together. Okay, well then let us do seg into what you will be presenting. It's going to be um, the Pacific Symphony performs at on June 6, 7, 8 at the Sagerstrom Hall and around the corner, the Sacre Project, which John Crawford and Lisa Noggle, uh, UCI, school, Claire Trevor Brent School of the Arts faculty, who are my guests here on Ask a Leader this morning, that uh, they will be collaborating in, or they are, They it was already produced in, on campus at UCI on February 20th, and so it, uh, it's been, uh, it's restaged at the Samueli Theater around the corner from the main entrance of the Sagerstrom. It'll be, there's 7 o'clock viewings, and then, T- roughly, it's, it can't be um, exactly detailed, but around 10, 15 p.m. viewings on either side, that is, of the Pacific Symphony Orchestra of the Rite of Spring. And so let's let you both talk about um, what what people are going to be a part of, how to prepare for what they're going to uh, partake, and anything else you want to tell us. John Crawford and Lisa Noggle. Well, this maybe I'll try to sketch the big picture first, Please. and and, um, and then Lisa can talk specifically about some of the dance elements. 
First, I did want to mention that this is a collaborative effort involving several creative artists uh, on faculty at UCI. Um, myself as the director, um, we actually have three choreographers working on the piece. Lisa is one, um, and uh, she's choreographing what we call the first act. Um, the second act is um, was choreographed by Chad Michael Hall, one of our faculty members in the dance department, and um, he's a specialist in modern dance. And then the third section, third act, was choreographed by Jody Gates, who's um, a contemporary choreographer who has roots in ballet and also has worked with um, important figures of modern dance, such as William Forsythe. And interesting mm -hmm. side note, um, the choreography for Rite of Spring, the original choreography by Nijinsky, was lost. And, yes. Um, there was no memory of it, um, except in a few notebooks and a few elderly people who remembered being part of the event. Um, in, in the uh, 1970s, an ambitious uh, graduate student from UC Berkeley uh, came along with the idea of trying to find a way to reconstruct the choreography, and um, she ended up uh, collaborating uh, with um, a, a visual um, uh, artist and historian, and uh, uh, Millicent Hudson and Kenneth Archer together, I wouldn't say they reconstructed, but they recreated a version of Rite of Spring that was performed for the 75th anniversary 25 years ago. And the interesting note related to our piece is that Jody Gates, one of our choreographers, was in that original production at the L.A. Music Center uh, 25 years ago, and she danced the role of the chosen among, them, <gasps> among other parts. Oh, she did. Oh. Yeah, so it's interesting to kind of see these connections. Um, but in any event, our piece, uh, the SOC Project, S-A-C-R-E, is um, a re-envisioning of the Rite of Spring looking towards the 21st century. It's part media installation. When the audience first walks in, it kind of feels a bit like an art gallery with uh, performers as part of the exhibit. But as the piece progresses, and I'm not going to give too much away in terms no. of exactly what happens right. to the piece, but by the end of the piece, you really feel like you're watching, uh, maybe even immersed in a theater uh, dance performance. So we, one of the things we're trying to do is investigate the relationship between audience and performer as it relates to you know this kind of dance and music experience. We were very, very fortunate to have two stellar pianists perform the piano version of Stravinsky's score. When people hear it um, this uh, June 6th, 7th, and 8th in the uh, Segerstrom Concert Hall, they'll hear the Pacific Symphony Orchestra play the entire uh, and full um, version of it with a full symphony orchestra. Right. But um, we, of course, couldn't fit a symphony orchestra into the uh, Samueli Theater, and so we were fortunate enough to have two faculty members from UCI um, Lorna Griffith and Nina Skolnick <gasps> play the piano transcription, which was recorded in one of our theaters, and then we're using that wonderful performance as the base for the music that gets heard in the soccer project. That 
that pays for the whole that guarantees the uh, price right there uh, um, that's amazing i hadn't even gotten to that part but uh, those two are the most phenomenal pianists who are, who are everywhere at the school of the arts oh, that so they're contributing in that i had no idea i'm sort of i'm blown and they're, away they're well known for their um for their performance uh, yes. their their piano uh, performance of the rite of spring so in that sense we connect the dance department at uc irvine with the music department and then in addition we benefited from two other seasoned professionals who are also on faculty um, at UCI. Um, Mike Hooker, who's the head of our sound design program, was the person who did the recording and then re-engineered the sound to um, create a, a sonic environment that is not exactly like what you hear in the symphony hall. It's a, it's a response to the Rite of Spring. And then Lonnie Alcaraz um, from our lighting program uh, created the lighting design for both the gallery portion of the installation and, the, um, and the, the more theatrical part of the performance. And then we had Luke Candarella, who now um, is in New York, but at the time we started this was on faculty um, at UCI. And uh, Luke created the scenic design, uh, and he and I were close collaborators on the concept for the piece. And then one more faculty member I want to mention is Alan Terciano, who's yes. another mainstay of the dance department who works closely with the music department. He uh, worked closely with Mike Hooker on part of the score. So really it was a multi-layered, multidisciplinary, multi-departmental collaboration, the likes of which um, UCI really has never seen before. And so we're very excited to be bringing that level of artistic and technical collaboration over to the Segerson Center. The Claire Trevor School of the Arts um, All Stars. It's I mean there is everything in it for everybody, and that's that's uh, that's a part of a much larger whole that um, I will lay out. But I want to make sure we can uh, talk about uh, that um, now. I guess in, in talking about all of this collaboration, I have to ask this wide-eyed question of both of you. What do you think Stravitsky and Nijinsky would think about your, your collaboration? It's a good question. Maybe I'll jump in first and then okay. um, see what Lisa thinks. Um, my feeling is that, first of all, Stravinsky and Nijinsky were not so much collaborators as they were colliders. Okay. They kind of banged together to create this piece, but there's lots of stories, perhaps many of them apocryphal, about the many arguments they had where Stravinsky wanted it faster, Nijinsky wanted it slower, Nijinsky wanted more steps and more elaboration, and Stravinsky wanted something simpler. And um, Rarick, I think, as the visual artist, was kind of in the middle of all this. So I'm not sure that they came together with the notion that they were going to collaborate as mature artists. They were both very young. They were both very early in their careers. And, you know, I'm not sure that they knew what they were getting themselves into. <laughs> in, in our case, I think we, even though I think we necessarily didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, we benefited from the, the experience of seasoned artists and also the incredibly talented and, and uh, capable production staff um, in the School of the Arts to pull all this together. So, you know, I, I don't know what they would think, but hopefully they would be intrigued that we were taking their ideas and moving them in a new direction. What do you think, Lisa? Lisa? I think you, yeah, John expressed it very well. Um, when you have creative people um, 
you know, doing what they do best. There's always mixing and putting things together and trying to make sense of the world through this process of um, mixing things. So I think that it would be a piece of their vision to see how this uh, is coming together. It would be right in line with uh, their genius and their creative spirit. Well, I love that uh, the expression that uh, was a collision more than a collaboration. It makes me then go fast forward back to this uh, array, the all-stars here at the, the Claire Trevor Brand School of the Arts. Is that Did they sort of all sort of gradually all sign on? or how? I mean, this has been a, a collaboration in for over many months, maybe pr- uh, more than a year. How, th- how do people sort of merge with the project? I just have to say, um, John invited uh, various people as he was talking, uh, thinking about it, and, uh, well, he can tell you more about it, but for he, when he invited uh, all of the dance choreographers yes. in the department, we, you know, we thought about it, we thought, you know, what can we do, and things like that, so it took each of us some time to think about um, the contributions that each we might make, and then it, you know, it was just a matter of, yes, let's go into this, it's a bit of the unknown, but... You know, we'll go for it and try it, and it became a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger project as we moved forward. It did. So John uh, is was kind of the uh, really producer of it in the sense of you know continually um, inspiring and working out the logistics and the details and and engaging us in various aspects of the project as much as possible with such a big team, Um, but. John was the the one that engaged us, and so we kind of followed his lead in many ways. It's phenomenal. I I can't wait to to have a piece of this. And there, I, I what I'm going to do is walk everybody through it quickly. And uh, with the two of you still on uh, air with me, is I'm going to break down how it's going to look there at the Segerstrom Performing Arts Complex itself. First, there's the the 8 p.m. performances inside the Stegerstrom, the Rite of Spring, being performed by the Pacific Symphony Orchestra. That's June 6, 7, and 8, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Then on on Saturday, the last day, that's the, the sort of the capstone of all of this, that um, starting at 5 p.m., patrons are welcome. They can congregate outside for a picnic where there will be a plaza cast, that is a simulcast of the inside performed uh, symphony orchestra on the screen outside uh, people might remember that from beethoven's ninth being performed as fabulously successful last year so uh then at, on either side of those 8 p.m performances as i was mentioning earlier at seven o'clock and then roughly around 10 15 later after the pacific symphony's orchestra is finished inside the samueli theater is lisa and John's collaboration, the Sacra Project. And uh, this Pacific Symphony Orchestra uh, front office tells me the Saturday 7 p.m. tickets are going fast. So people are going to either jump ahead of me on those or uh, there might be some uh, still available at roughly 10, 15 p.m. Now, uh, then also going on Saturday, around that whole complex, there are going to be a number of uh, performing artists of festivities that, as I said, starting at 5, there'll be activity booths, there'll be performances by community ensembles on the plaza uh, prior to the simulcast, and I just wanted to mention a special note, at roughly 6.45, the Santa Ana Strings, a, a high school ensemble, is going to be performing. 
Also ongoing will be artists of various media. They'll be presenting their completed work or a couple of artists will be doing uh, work in progress at the setting inspired by what's going on around them. So then um, around, I think it's on either side of the actual Pacific Symphony uh, Orchestra performance, um, I think be I think at the same time that is going to be that the Sakura project is staged, there will be a chance for people to see the Pacific Symphony star-studded video, The Fright of Spring. I don't want to say anything more about that, but if you if you happen not to catch it there, you can go to the Pacific Symphony website and take in it's a it's a nine minute video and it's so it's so it's hilarious and heartrending. It's very funny. So um, the tickets. For the indoor ride of spring are available at the Pacific Symphony box office, and I'm going to give everybody the number to call, 714-755-5799. And there's, of course, the website pacificsymphony.org for more information, and you can uh, arrange uh, ticket sales there. It's going to be so memorable. I think we're all going to we're going to date before and after that event for, for the rest of our lives. And I, I I'm just... I knew it was going to be big, Lisa and John, um, when you were uh, before uh, while preparing for this. But you've given me more a pause to uh, get uh, terribly excited about um, all of the contributions from the the, uh, the Claire Trevor Brent School of the Arts at UCI. Um, all of these people, some of these are friends of mine. Some of these people, I just crawl to their recitals. Uh, so I um, and uh, and and the dance performances at Lisa's uh, stage too. So um, I I want to thank. John Crawford and Lisa Noggle of UCI's School of the Arts uh, and the collaborators for the At the Soccer Project performed on June 6, 7, and 8 at roughly at 7 o'clock and after 10.15 speaking p.m. on, as I said, June 6, 7, 8, that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week. I want to thank you both for being on the show today, and uh, I don't have to wish you success. I think it speaks for itself. It's going to be a phenomenal event. Anything you want to sign us off with? One last quick thing that we neglected to mention. There Please. Were more UCI dancers on stage with the symphony during the first part of the concert choreographed by our colleague Tong Wang, beautiful ballet uh, with uh, the music of Tchaikovsky that I mentioned earlier. Yes. So we have a really wonderful collaboration set up. Thank you so much, Claudia. It's been great to be with you. Yes, thank you, Claudia. It was our pleasure to talk with you today. Well, we are really glad that you were both here. And, um, folks, I couldn't make it plainer that what an event this is going to be. So uh, we're going to uh, sign off here with a few announcements, and um, we're going to um, wish you all well while we do that. But I want this is a little background from This Is the Sacrifice Happening and Stravinsky's piece. Thanks for joining us today. I want to also... Um, Post everybody, there is on that Saturday, that heavy, uh, heavily scheduled Saturday, you have a chance to hear a lute and a guitar recital performed by uh, Asnan uh, Curtis and James Brown at the Winifred Smith Hall this Saturday at 5. So um, you can also go to the Claire Trevor Brent School of the Arts um, UCI um, website for more information to um get all of those recitals well that's all the time we have for today's program next week i'm going to bring this house down with author and academic matt garcia who will talk about his book 
from the jaws of victory, the triumph and tragedy of Cesar Chavez and the farmers worker movement. Hot off the UC Press and recently receiving the Philip Taft Award. Next up, as always, is George Rosales with his hat. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.